This series of lunchtime conversations intends to capture insights from some of society's thought leaders from um, in the very strange times that we're living in with the coronavirus pandemic. It's the 15th of May and here in the UK, we're beginning to consider how to plan for recovery, whatever form that may take. Part of my role at Warwick University is to make sure that our education programmes remain relevant and they continue to serve the needs of society. To do this, it's important to be part of the research, the industry and the wider community. The people I will speak to in this series form my professional network and I rely on them to um, inform and help steer our educational offerings. We have seen seismic shifts in all areas of life and the extraordinarily pervasive nature of COVID-19 will have lasting effects. With me today to discuss, I have Patrick Fleming, who's the CEO of the Jubilee Sailing Trust. Welcome to lunch. Thank you very much, Marie. Lovely to see you. Thank you for the kind invitation. Well, you took up the post in December last year and we met for the first time um, in February in the Caribbean on a tall ship off the coast of St. Bart's. More about that later. Absolutely delightful. <laughs> can you can you tell for anybody who might be um, overheating our conversation, can you remind me what is the mission of the Jubilee Sailing Trust and how does it achieve that? Well, Jubilee Sailing Trust's mission is very straightforward. It was cast 42 years ago and it, it broadly was a very inspired idea by two individuals to actually enable people, particularly at that time who were disabled, to be able to mix with able-bodied people in ocean adventures. And the mission remains the same, but we've broadened it, I guess, to, to deal with opportunities for people who feel isolation of any sort. And obviously in a COVID environment, that's a, a particularly topical moment for us now. So what we're broadly trying to do is to make sure that you have a mixed crew, everybody does a job, uh, as you will know, uh, and uh, the idea is, is that people mix and each other to actually learn lots about individual lives. So that is the mission. And the mission is, you know, to actually keep doing it, really, and to campaign for people who are, if you like, unable for all sorts of reasons to socially engage in an active way like able-bodied people. And I mean, is it what you expected? So joining us in December, you know, is it what you expect or, or are there things that are different? And from the things that you expected and things that were different, what has been changed since the since this pandemic? Well, I guess the first thing is, is that I knew the organisation a long time ago, because, as you know, I was a journalist in a past life. So of my uh, little episodes as a journalist was to uh, climb the mast of the then Lord Nelson in Pool Harbour on a windy day. So uh, I achieved that thing and actually fell in love with it very deeply, really, as a as a mission. And so over the years, um, as I went on to edit the Southern Daily Echo and the Bournemouth Echo, uh, of course, I found my journalists writing stories about tall ships and the Jubilee Sailing Trust. <laughs> so when the job came up, it was it was a pretty obvious no-brainer for me at a time when I wanted to spend less time in London and spend more family time down on the South Coast. So it was a very interesting sort of opportunity. Um, I guess what COVID has done for us is two things. So, I mean, it, it enabled the people on board who, who left Antigua to heading originally to the Greek islands. Um, they found themselves in an extraordinary bubble, all healthy and all well, uh, on an ocean while the rest of us were in lockdown. 
uh, what it meant for me is I had to make the decision to bring the ship back and the people back as a duty of care. You know, basically, I could no longer, as the epidemic started, really, uh, to allow people to re take risks going to places where we probably would be in quarantine as soon as we arrived. Mm. So that's yeah. changed it. I mean, I think what it, what it broadly then does, it means that obviously you know, I, I recruit a crew and a, uh, a reserve crew, as you know, and so the, what would have happened would be the reserve crew would have taken over in Piraeus, um, and the net result of that is I've now got the, the, the both crews, if you like, furloughed. So effectively, they have no work to do and Tenacious has no sailing to do. So for us, it's been quite extreme. The impact has been financial as well as, you know, um, a challenge to us in terms of actually understanding what we do next. Uh, so she's currently in cold layup in South Wales and will stay there until August when she goes into a special survey. So it's been quite a challenging time for us. Uh, effectively, it stopped us in our tracks, as it were. And mm. um, I guess in a previous life, you know, you were you were also the director and um, director of development for the British Library. It's another it's a, a large, a, a large organisation. Um, are there similarities in how you would look to manage or lead these organisations um, and are there certain things that are just characteristics of a tall ship charity that makes it special, makes it different? Well, there are similarities in terms of how you run fundraising and development. I mean, I don't think that there's any rocket science about that from one organisation to another. I think obviously what is different is, is that uh, I'm, I'm coming from a very large organisation with an international brand and a recognised you know, role in life um, to a smaller organisation that has a unique offering and a unique mission. Um, and so they are different. And so, you know, the, the logic transfer would be to the outside looking in quite unusual and different, but it's not really. At the end of the day, when people ask me what I do in my career, I usually say I spend my life managing change and quickly. So mm -hmm. you know, I did five different jobs at the British Library over nearly 13 years, and all of them were different in one way or another. So coming into a charitable environment called JST is no different, really. I mean, I think the, the challenge for JST is obviously it, it's had a, a, a little bit of a seesaw here history in the last few years, as you know. I mean, finance for special causes has always been quite different and quite difficult. Um, I guess what I bring to the party is as I I grew a fundraising department uh, very, very quickly from five or six people to 18 people. Uh, and over three years, we raised 55 million. So, you know, I think the difference is scale. Uh, yes. I guess what I've tried to bring to the party already is, is uh, an understanding of actually where the people are who gift money, um, mm. particularly not just the UK, but internationally. Challenge in the UK, as you would know, is money is always tight. It's tighter now. Uh, charitable causes, you know, particularly uh, call the NHS, are the ones we're all supporting. Uh, and so an organisation like ours has to find its place at the right time to do something different. Yeah, yes. Yeah, and, and that issue of scale, it's not... It's not it's not immediately feasible to see how you would scale the offering from the Jubilee Sailing Trust. Um, and I guess that is a bit of a limiting or at least as a characteristic of the charity itself is that the, the ships, you can't just recruit thousands of people to go on the ship at one time. The, the funding must the funding stream must come from the donors or from fundraising. 
And we talk a lot with our students about business models and business models of charities. And, um, you know, they 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 need to be as um, as slick as business models for large corporations. And that the and we we speak with our, you know, with our students, we discuss that and we explore that business model environment. The challenges for the trust for fundraising and um, particularly in this time, you know, the, the, the UK government has made provision for some charity charities in the charitable sector. Um, have they made provision for the GST, do you think? Will they be able to prioritise it or will it need to go out um, other ways? I think to be fair to the UK government, I think it has it has done its very best from the very start. I mean, I think that, you know, I guess that I, I had the advantage of uh, of working particularly uh, with uh, Ricky Shunak and his wife, who were friends of the British Library in the sense that so when he did uh, announced that he was going to support small businesses. He was very specific about adding charity into the language, and I think yes. that you know the the mission there was very inspired because I think third sector gets often forgotten uh, when we talk about business, and the reality of charities is it is a business, and mm -hmm. you know people forget that, and I think that the important point about government support is, is, is it's always going to be a little bit like going into A&E in a hospital, that you're only going to have it for a little while and it's going to hope that you're going to mend yourself and get better. Yes. And I think that that's, that is the challenge because I think the rescue packages are what they're meant to be, which is to sort of get us through the, the COVID period. I think probably what it's in, it's not immediately evident to lots of people is it's it stopped the donor pool working properly. You know, mm -hmm. so, I mean, I was talking to a donor the other day who said to me, well, I really don't need to give you anything at the moment, do I? Because the government's supporting you and you just want to scream no. <laughs> no. Um, but that is a perception. And, and I guess that um, charities are usually on the breadline. I mean, I think all charities, um, bar a few of them, um, don't have the resources to ride the storm of COVID. And I think the the difficulty in, and I think governments have been very open and honest about it, is they won't be able to save all businesses, they won't be able to save all charities. Uh, and I think what's going to be hard is for charities across the UK, particularly, to rebuild um, their world uh, in in a way that actually makes them stable and sustainable. Yeah. Yes, okay. Now, thank you. Thank you. Um, I mean, as, as you know, I love the ship. Um, I love sailing as part of the crew. I love being on the deck, helping in the galley, working with the engineers. I love all of the ship. Um, and I think I love it so much because it's just such a it's just such a beautiful experience. Um, and everybody in the ship is valued um, and they're all needed to, to sail the ship, to make it happen. Um, and I genuinely, I really do feel like quite quickly I became part of the GST family and I think um, I'm not alone in that I think many people who have sailed on that ship as yourself climbing up that mast mm. very very quickly and very easily you do fall in love with the ship and you belong you know, very very quickly you're part of it and a couple of years ago um, I worked with a professor in our department professor Alan Chalmers and we supervised Junior who was a student from Thailand and I took I thought well how can I how can I better work with this wonderful experience and what I do at the university and Junior came down and, he, and was on the ship, looked around the ship, met some of the crew 
Um, and then he created a virtual reality model um, and with the help of Greg and Phil Gibbons created a 3D model of the ship, which I know was then used um, on one of the voyages where there was a blind and visually impaired crew so that they could feel around the 3D model and the crew could explain to them what was going to happen with sail setting and they could have a better idea of the scale and what things look like. And um, this year, um, I'm really hoping to get a couple of undergraduate engineers on the ship during maintenance and they're going to work with the um, fabulous engineering team. So that's a shout out to Marco and his gang um, that, and they're going to work with them to see if they can identify um, projects that the students can pick up for their third year projects. So they can learn about design, they can learn about the ship's mission, they can learn about maintenance and they can get involved with a real practical project and at the same time get taken through the kind of academic rigour that we take them through at Warwick. Um, so what I want to know is that from the perspective of inclusion, this is one of our strategic arms at Warwick University. And um, we, we have it to say that we aspire to remove all the economic, social and cultural barriers and to be best in class in our approach to diversity and social inclusion. How can we learn from you how to do that? I think the trick here really is to learn from each other. I mean, I think um, I think the beauty of the of the JST is it creates a unique environment on the back of everything you have said about it. I think that it creates, a, if you like, an, an unfettered place for a period of time where there are no distractions other than people being on board a ship doing their jobs and working with each other mm -hmm. i think i think the problem i i find over my career in different jobs with when people talk about inclusion is it's easy to say the word it's not so easy to deliver the truth and i think that um for people who are isolated and, and that now is a classic example of it you know people who are already isolated are more isolated now than ever before uh, and actually any contact that they're having has gone down not up in most cases and I think that it's easy to to talk it as I say but it's not so easy to do it I think how what you can learn from us is is, is as you know so well Myri is is the ability if you like to integrate easily um, without any escape from it and mm. the truth of these things is it's not always easy to adapt even if you want to be away from isolation you know some of the people over time that have been on our voyages have found it very much more difficult than they think it, it, it would be yes. I mean, on the latest voyage you know from Antigua back to the UK it was 35 days and we were mixing veterans with 16 year old teenagers and you know it, it was challenging for them all um, they will all benefit from it, but you've got nowhere to go for 35 days, but um, but 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 to be protected. And because it was an extraordinary world event uh, that everybody was aware of, is it made inclusion, you know, an extraordinary thing in a very deep sort of way. And so I guess in terms to cut to the chase, really the answer to the exam question is 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 permanence and consistency and honesty and friendship i think i think that you know i think you're doing it on a on a big brand level um and i think that you know the jst will only go forward if it actually it, it increases its family really and i guess my view of it is and you said it earlier is that there are only so many births that we can actually offer mm. uh, and 
in a cost-effective way over a calendar year, it isn't enough to be able to include the vast majority of people who would who would like to be included. So what we need to embrace now is actually how we work with other maritime organisations doing similar things, not just in the UK, but worldwide. And you all know from when we were down in St. Barts, you know, that actually being able to include even for a day, you know, disabled people and people who are isolated in a very rich community uh, on board the ship was for them a life memory and completely changed the perspective. But I think we all have to be very open and uh, and able to help wherever we can. And that has to be genuine, not forced, I think. Mm. And uh, the mechanisms to help partnership working, to work with others. Now, I've met people on the ship um, whose employers support them for some of them sort of up to 40 hours um, so a week of their time to volunteer and this would be kind of over and above their annual leave um, and they've used this to come on, on their own expense to come and volunteer and be part of a voyage crew on the ship and um, I've also met um, I've also met with people so I, um, on the, the the two JST skiing trips who have had the same the same opportunity so it's a big big mixed ability mixed ability skiing adventure and some of the people on there, also their companies have allowed them to take, you know, this 40 hours additional annual leave. Do you think that kind of volunteering will be supported and encouraged more since this crisis? Or do you think the sort of corporate appetite has waned for social responsibility? I guess my uh, professional sort of corporate experience would be that CSR has grown and will grow, not not being, you know, if you like, something that has been lost. I think um, I think we're all particularly if you think about shareholders in companies, I think, you know, what companies give back has become a, a very topical point of you know relevance for all corporate business people, I think. I think that my experience would be that in a in a post-COVID world, I think what's been extraordinarily interesting um, as a spin-off of, of the government scheme is allowing people to do voluntary work while they're furloughed. Um, mm. uh, and, you know, while that's got to be supported by the government, it's got to be supported by an organisation that's going to be prepared to do it. And I think if I if I put my hand on my hope heart and actually say, well, let's look at the spin-offs of support that's gone into the NHS, it hasn't just been money. It has been people coming back to work who'd left the NHS, who, who didn't have to come to work, if you like, um, but are volunteering to go back to help. And I think the spirit of volunteering has probably never been stronger than it has been now. So I think that, yeah, I, I would hope that actually organisations will see the benefit of it. And there is no doubt. I mean, I guess I've championed it a lot in my career where I always believed that, you know, volunteering to do something or swap, you know, one job for another or move from one company to another supported ably by both organisations is all part of the learning of life thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's the old story about talent, isn't it? At the end of the day, it is you don't know what people can give until you find out. Um, and and people don't often know themselves. And I think volunteering does an extraordinary job for us. And we've got great volunteers, as you know, who've supported us for years upon years upon years. Yeah. 
Yes, yeah, it's a fabulous organisation. And and for our students, you know, if our students want to get involved, I, I'm mindful. I mean, they can I, obviously they can just go and check out the website. But I'm also aware that you do the leadership at sea. My my own daughter's been through the leadership at sea, mm-hmm. um, and I also know that. Um, I still think it's true that the it and um, some of the voyages will qualify as the Duke of Edinburgh Gold Expedition, okay. I yes. believe. Yeah. So, so there's there's mechanisms and the um, and you support you support the young people if they would like to do fundraising to both fund their voyage but also raise funds for the JST to to yeah, enable sure. those, those we voyages. Do that. I mean I, I and I think the other thing that we will have to do much more of and I want to do much more of and that includes me is outreach you know it's broadly you know your students shouldn't have to come to us we should come to you and mm-hmm. uh, I, it's it's an open offer now you know that broadly if you wanted us to come along bring a master of the ship along talk about what really happens alongside you to your students we'd love to you know, do- I'm, go- you know I'm going to take you up on that and I think I think I would but also then, say then that's what we have to do because mm-hmm. you know I think I think one of the the difficult challenges that I would observe you know in my role at JST is is it's not just about being on the ship, it's getting to the thing in the first place. You know, so just the practicalities of that, particularly if you've never travelled on a a ship at all, uh, to get to a tall ship and then to actually commit yourself to do even a day voyage may not be something you're comfortable with when you think about it. And it may not be what it is you really want to do. And, you know, we don't press gang people in the old shipping world like it. We want them to be engaged in it, but but I do think that that's a it's a growth thing, and I think that the only way that I I can see people committing to it in the longer term, particularly younger people, is to sell it to them and and ask questions about it in a human way. I mean, I think because if the ultimate experience is a human one on board the ship, and it definitely is, is it has to start like that, and I think some of the things that I I probably have fought against all through my career is it's too easy to talk about emails and mobile phones and, you know, uh, even though Zoom and uh, Microsoft have done wonderful things and so Google is we're living in an artificial world and we would all much prefer to be talking to each other. So, again, you know, it is about, I guess, if you look at our website, for instance, the Subtle Trust already is the word campaigning has started to appear because that's what we have to do, I think. And I think it is a subtle change change but it is about that and that means getting out amongst it and talking to people mm. well yeah thank you very much and and i do think you know that's having the opportunity to ask, to ask you to come and speak to our students but also our staff and our wider community about how you approach inclusion and and i think the real life-changing rewards and benefits it brings to so many people me included coming on the voyages that the gst um, afford the opportunity for people to go on and um, I suppose for me, a positive thing from this pandemic is a real awareness of community. And so on my street, you know, we all go out on Thursday night. I ask after my neighbours and pick up bits and pieces from the co-op. Um, but we're also asked to be responsible for our own safety and to be responsible for the safety for other people around about us. And we trust in one another to do that. And we've done that throughout this lockdown. And... Um, this heightened sense of kind of caring for each other is something that I'm mindful of going through this this, this crisis. And the Jubilee, Jubilee Sailing Trust, you have got that in spades. 
all the time. You know, that's I think that's one of the that's the sum of the essence of being on board the ship. Um, thank you very much for sharing the insights with me. Um, they're enormously useful to help steer our education programmes and to give me food for thought about how to get you involved and to help us help us realise our strategic mission. Um, I guess uh, I'm going to have lunch later in the series with Mel Harrison. You haven't met Mel yet. No, um, you will. You will. She's a force, a force to be reckoned with. Um, and I met Mel last year on one of the voyages um, on the ship. So she's going to speak later. Uh, and so if you're interested, if anybody overhearing this conversation is interested in this, that's one to tune into because uh, she's got plenty to say. Um, this series will be made available on YouTube. And um, if you want to get in touch with Patrick, I'm guessing just contact me and I will I will um, field any questions or any inquiries onto Patrick directly. The series is also going to be made as a podcast. Yes, Patrick, go on. No, simply just to say what I always like to do is when we have conversations like this is to make the point it's the beginning of a conversation, not the end of one. So I, I think, you know, in terms of you and your workplace and your colleagues, and obviously I'm very happy, as I said, to come along and talk to you more. Uh, but feel free to spread the word and let anyone listening to this, please talk to us and let us let us tell you what you're missing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank Patrick. you very much. Cheerio. Enjoy your lunch. Yeah, you too. <laughs> bon appétit. Bye. Bye.